Last Sunday, we asked the question, who are the blessed ones? And according to Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6, the blessing of the kingdom is not tied to earthly material temporary things. It's tied to other things that the world doesn't even consider or recognize or acknowledge. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. This morning in our sermon, we look at a story where this actually materialized, or where this actually was fulfilled, where someone received the blessing in that, and someone shared in God's kingdom. According to Jesus' teaching, when people were blessed, he never tied that to the things that the world would hold up and value as highly, and it's not tied to an absence of suffering or an absence of pain. This, the blessings of God are not related, are not intertwined with those kinds of things. At the core, in essence, the blessings of God are connected to a relationship with God. And that comes through, as I've titled the sermon this morning, the blessing of forgiveness. And we could talk about a whole area of blessings, but we've chosen this one according to the scripture passage in our worship calendar that is handed out by our conference. So we want to look at the blessing of forgiveness and what it looks like. And in fact, that is one area which no one will get to heaven without. Everyone who goes to heaven will go there because their sins were paid for and they received the blessing. No one who rejects that will see Jesus in eternity. And by definition, when I say to someone, can you forgive me? When I ask someone, can you forgive me? I'm, I'm saying, in, around, in another way, I'm saying, I'm sorry. Or I'm also saying, I'm guilty. That is hard. That is not easy. We don't enjoy going around saying, well, I'm guilty. Or I'm responsible. I caused you pain. That's not fun. Repentance is always difficult. It's always painful. But it is an absolute must. Forgiveness is not something you can actually store up and get an extra dose of and have surplus like your driver's license. You get 12 points, I believe it is. You speed, you get a ticket, and you dock a few points. Well, you have some points left. That's not how this works. It's a case. It's, it's like this. When you sin, you have to repent, period. And because we're born as sinners, we have to live that lifestyle. Forgiveness is, a, is an act of grace on God's behalf. We don't earn it. We don't, we don't get credit. Now, okay, you've got some more credit, some more forgiveness credit. It's not how it works. But when we live a repentant lifestyle, forgiveness is applied to us. When we talk about the blessing of forgiveness this morning, we must keep in mind it does involve repentance. It does involve reconciliation with God. Yes, the sin is paid for. That, the debt is gone. But for, for it to work in my life, to be accredited to me, I must receive it. And that is the way of the cross. Jesus said in the Gospels, if anyone would, come, would become my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not exactly a life of ease and a life of comfort, a life of convenience. And you know something? We will never outgrow this. It's always in process. The sanctification thing that God is doing in our lives is always in process. I'm reminded of a story in... Uh, that's on, on YouTube. You can actually Google it and watch it. It's called The Pineapple Story by Otto Koning. He and his wife were missionaries in a country adjacent to Papua New Guinea in Asia. And he and his wife were 
spreading the gospel, teaching the people about Jesus and how to be followers of Jesus and so on. One of the things about that people group that they were witnessing to and ministering to, they were chronic thieves. They couldn't help themselves. They were just thieves. And they stole everything. Otto says they stole everything. And one thing that Otto tried doing there besides preaching the gospel, he tried to raise pineapples. That was one thing he tried to do. But he said they would never reach the stage of ripeness because they would steal them. As soon as they were a certain size, the natives would steal them, and they were gone, and he would get angry, he would upset, he was frustrated. And so they had a name from the angry white man, the angry white man. That's what they called him. And because of what was going on, this is how he lived, frustrated and angry missionary. That's who he was. And one day he was so tired and frustrated of the whole thing, he just decided, I'm going to give the whole thing to God. He repented of his anger, he gave it to God, he confessed it, he dealt with it, and he was no longer angry. And now when they were stealing, they were stealing God's pineapples, not his. And he was okay with it. Well, the leaders of the tribe, they called him Tuan. That's what they called him. The leaders of the tribe, they couldn't figure this out. What's happened to, what's happened to Tuan? What's happened to him? What's going on here? And uh, they were puzzled. They were wondering what's going on here. And one of the leaders of the tribes one day said to Tuan, he said, Tuan, I know what happened. You become a Christian. You've been there for years. You become a Christian. You always wondered what a Christian looked like. You've been talking about it for a long time, but now I know what it looks like. You become one. That was a very humbling experience for this missionary. What had they seen him as? An angry, frustrated white man. He was a missionary. He was doing God's work. But he needed to repent and he needed to be forgiven for him to be effective. It's both a humorous story, funny on the one hand, also incredibly sobering to think of it in that term. Wait a minute. And then we need to ask ourselves, how do people around us see us? You see, it's hard to release situations to God. It's difficult. And there's the rub. The people we're ministering to, they're not the issue. They're not the question. God can deal with that. The question is, how am I responding? How am I dealing with it? There's much more to the pineapple story, by the way. Go to YouTube, hit uh, type in the pineapple story by Otto Koning. It's a fascinating watch. I would encourage it. I've, it's an old, old story, by the way. And some of you heard this story, I'm sure. But the point is, God is the great healer and sent Jesus to do the healing. He's the great physician to pay for our sins, to restore our relationship with God. Jesus heals those that come to him. But what that looks like and how that presents itself, that is interesting sometimes. And the reason I mentioned that little story it's because we may think we're on the right track, and we may be up to a point, but we're in process. We're not there yet. And the question are, that we have to ask ourselves, are we living the blessing of forgiveness? You see, when a person is forgiven, the past is no longer blocking the connection between us and God. When a person is forgiving, the fellowship is sweet. It is sacred. It is very special. Yes, that sometimes we as God's people, we can become very miserable and hard to deal with. And so God molds and shapes us. And he does things in our lives that we may not like, confronts us, rebukes us. You may say, well, how do you know that? I'll just say it. I'm talking from experience. And I think I have now, by this time in my life, given up on this idea of arriving. And I was foolish enough at age 17 when I became a Christian to just figure this out. Yep. It's going to be good because I'm not going to sin anymore, and then it won't be a problem. And that was wrong. And God showed me very quickly how he was going to 
pro- how, how unclean I still was in many ways, how much repenting I still needed to do. And the greatest act of grace from God was he didn't give up on me. Our greatest need is not some system or organization or whatever. They're good. But our greatest need is grace and a relationship. And so we want to go into the, to the story that we find in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. And here's a story where Jesus had an encounter with two very opposite individuals. The one character, one his name is Simon. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a bunch of people who were the elite. They were educated. They were respected. They were influential people, held positions of power, authority in the nation. Everybody looked up to them. They were the high-class people. This guy's name was Simon. High standing in social circles, well-respected. The other person in the story is a woman, referenced as a sinner. Now, some commentators suggest that she was a prostitute. We can't, I'm not saying she wasn't, and maybe she was. Um, well-respected scholars believe that she was, and the, the way that she uh, came and stuff she did, maybe she was. I don't know. But she was a woman of tainted moral character nonetheless. She was a woman who was a sinner. So let's begin reading the story. Luke chapter 7, starting verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, meaning Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So here's Jesus invited to a Pharisee's house. And Jesus was considered a rabbi. And so that may not have been that much, of a, that much out of the ordinary for him to be invited to a Pharisee's house. But it is in verse 37 where the story gets very complicated very fast. A woman enters the picture, and a sinful woman at that. She's not named, simply referred to as a sinner from the city. And again, commentators have studied this. Some believe she was a prostitute. The passage itself does not say that, but it may have been. We don't know. But regardless, she was looked down upon in the community. She was looked down on by everybody, and she didn't belong. She was out of place. She didn't fit. Her reputation was bad. So here's Jesus in this elite guy's house, where only the good people go, where only people of respect and dignity and honor go. Here comes this woman who doesn't fit, who belongs somewhere else. And what compelled her to come, we'll talk about a little bit later. But she comes into the house, and here's Jesus, and she goes to the table and stands behind him. To get a little bit of perspective here, they didn't have tables like we do where we sit on a chair and pull up and then have our feet under the table. People would kind of lay on their side, maybe on a, propped up on an elbow, and their feet away from the table, and they, they would reach onto the table and eat what, what the f- food from their plates and things like that. They would not sit like we do at a table today. So she comes here into this house, and there is Jesus reclining at table, and she walks up behind him and stands at his feet. The fact that she was there was a problem. She shouldn't have been. It was not a respectable thing to do. It was considered maybe not proper, not decent. She didn't belong there. It's awkward. But then what she does is more awkward. She's standing there weeping, and her tears are falling down, and they're falling on the feet of Jesus. 
And then she crouches down or bends down, lowers herself to the floor. She, maybe her hair were undone, but she takes her hair, which were apparently long enough. She starts using her hair to wipe his feet. Now, that's beyond all decency. That's not what any Jewish man would allow any woman, a strange woman, to do to him. Just, you don't do that, okay? It's very awkward. And then she's wiping his feet with, from, from the tears that she poured on them with her, from her eyes. And then she's, she's taking that alabaster jar of ointment that she's carrying. And people say that prostitutes would have carried one. And she's taking it and she's anointing his feet with that oil. And then she kisses them. She kissed them and anointed them. This story is just packed, loaded with imagery and meaning. We may wonder, what is going on here? She's just overcome with emotion. She's very aware who Jesus is. She knows who he is, what he means for her. She recognizes him as Jesus, the Messiah. She sees herself for who she is. She's sorry for her sinful life. She expresses herself without words in the way she behaves toward Jesus. It's an incredible story. And all of this is going on while I'm assuming they're eating at this time. These guys around the table, they're eating. It's awkward. And guess whose mind is just going? Simon. For this woman to do this, and that house, and that way, and especially her doing it, it's beyond all boundaries. And guess who is thinking? Simon says, let's read verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman who is touching him, for she's a sinner. That's the inner dialogue in his heart and his mind. That's the inner conversation he's having with himself. He can't be a prophet. I misread him. He's not it. He's not who he said he was or who people say he is. He's, Jesus is not, a, not, not the Messiah. He's not a prophet. He's, he's, he's fake. He's not real. Jesus is listening to his thoughts, being the Messiah, who he is. And Jesus answering, verse 40, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He has no idea what he's going to say. He says, say it, teacher. How does Jesus engage here? He's both God and man as we know, and when evil was present, it agitated him far more than any human being ever could. As a man, Jesus often did not say anything because it would not be to God's glory to, to say something, but this time, it was time to speak. This time, it was time to talk. A situation had presented itself, and this was an opportune time for Jesus to teach this Simon a lesson on love and truth and compassion, and grace. Simon had the wrong view of Jesus. He didn't think so. Jesus was not what or who Simon had assumed Jesus was. In Simon's worldview, if anyone was a good Jew like he was, in Simon's worldview, if Jesus was a prophet, he would absolutely, without a doubt, have known who this woman was. He would have rebuked her right at the start. You can't come in here, lady. You don't belong here. Get out. Be lost. He most definitely would not have allowed her to do to him what she did. In Simon's world, this was just so far apart, it was a closed and shut case. She was bad. Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Jesus was fake. There are many people 
who have a self-fabricated view of the world and of God and of faith. And those people are the most dangerous of all. They're the ones who invent God according to their own image and their own minds. And God is like this because I'm like this and I'm like this and this is comfortable. That's why God is like this. When Simon thought in his heart that Jesus was not a prophet, that was much more of a window into his heart who he was than who Jesus was. Simon judged Jesus because Jesus did not line up with his self-righteous view of what a good Jew or godly Jew should look like. Now, if Jesus had ordered the woman to leave, if Jesus had rebuked, oh, you don't belong here, you're a sinner, get out, he would have applauded Jesus. Good job, he is a prophet, he's a prophet, he's a prophet. Yeah, he's one of us. But because he did not do that, Simon lowered Jesus to just an ordinary Jewish man. But Jesus, being the ever-perceptive person he was, he had something to say. And Simon, no doubt, did not know what Jesus was going to say. Simon allowed Jesus to speak. He was, it was his house, and so Jesus spoke. And it's at that point that Jesus shone the light of God's truth, his love and mercy and justice and forgiveness onto the situation, basically putting everything to the service. Now it was evident, now it was visible, who was the woman and who was, who was Simon. Well, let's read the story in verse 41. It says, a certain lender, Jesus says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. A very simple little illustration, a simple little parable to bring things into perspective here. The story of the two debtors is very easy to understand. Basically, two different people who both need some grace, who both need to be forgiven their debt. The debtors are people who see themselves as owing a debt that needs to be paid. And Simon is saying to, Jesus is saying to Simon, you and this woman are both debtors. You see, people who see themselves as pretty good don't need a lot of forgiveness. That was Simon. At the core, his heart was self-righteous. The Bible teaches all people are sinners except him. And all people need forgiveness except him. It's so easy to, to view ourselves here and everybody else here. If one could have looked at the history of Simon, he applied for a position in leadership somewhere, would have been a flawless resume. Perfect everywhere. Did all things right. His prayer life, his devotional life, his giving, his participation, his involvement in the synagogue, and the, whatever else, he was a good man. And he believed it. He didn't need to repent. He, he knew he was a good man. This woman, everybody knew she was not a good woman. Everybody knew she was, she was a sinner. She needed a lot of repenting to do. In our day, some people have the idea that God sent Jesus to die for bad people. And they, of course, they're not the bad people, so they're pretty good. But anyway, Jesus engaged Simon the Pharisee, and he said to him, he turns toward the woman behind him there, and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And says, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Ouch. He's looking at the woman 
talking to Simon. She's been ignored, not paid attention to, not listened to, not, not regarded. But he pays attention to her. And then he rebukes Simon, the one who had invited him, at whose table he was eating. Simon had judged her as a sinner. And then he compared Jesus with himself. And of course, Jesus didn't make the great either. Everybody knows the woman doesn't know. Obviously, Jesus doesn't. That makes him not a very good person to deal with. When Simon thought the words in his heart of Jesus were a prophet, when he thought those words, that was a judgment from Simon toward the woman and toward Jesus. Simon made three big mistakes. He mistook Jesus for who he was. He didn't recognize him for who he was. He viewed himself, the second mistake. He elevated himself. He wasn't where he elevated himself to. He wasn't nearly as good as he thought he was. He judged the woman as someone who Jesus didn't see her as. That, by the way, is a very important thing. Let's never look at somebody lower than Jesus looks at that person. That's a, that's a huge deal. And, and I have to confess, I don't always do this well. Before I judge a person, how does Jesus view that person? I better not look at them lower than Jesus does. And we know how Jesus looks at people. That's a powerful question. Do you see this woman? And then he says, I, you as a Jew would have done this if you were a very good conscientious or a very good dedicated or very good full, um, perfect Jew. You would, have, you, would have, you would have washed my feet. You would have sent, given water to wash my feet. You would have kissed me. You would have anointed my head with oil. You did none of these things. This woman did all of that. It's very strange. He did everything wrong in the eyes of God. She did everything right. And yet, in Simon's eyes, it was, the, it was flipped. It's all reversed here. The woman in her devotion to Jesus showed love, devotion, and affection. The Pharisee Simon, yes, he invited Jesus for a meal. But the reason we're not told, but the customary nice things he should have shown, he missed and judged her, even though she did all of them. In this story, it was the woman who was poor in spirit. She saw her need for grace and forgiveness, and in so doing, she shared in the kingdom of heaven. According to Luke 6, chapter 6, verse 20, I believe. And Simon... Being the self-righteous Pharisee that he was, he knew about it intellectually, and he missed it completely. Self-righteous people are often very quick to explain, excuse, and, and minimize, and so on. But then when others, oh, that's a huge deal. Self-righteous people notice the splinters in the eyes of others and miss the logs in their own eyes. It is worth noting that the things mentioned in the scripture passage up to this point are physical things in nature. They're things we do physically, to or with our bodies. And it's not that Jesus mentions this so she's earning salvation. It's nothing about that. But let's read on. Verse 47. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, meaning Simon, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. She didn't ask for that. She meant that. She lived that. But she didn't even pray that. We don't, we don't know what all happened there, but it's not written. She loved much. You see, friends, the sins we've committed, 
They're paid for. We don't have to worry about them. But that forgiveness only works in the context of a relationship with the Father and with Jesus. That's the big if. What I mean with that is we can pray to God, the Pharisee did. Look at our own nature and our own self-resume, how good we are, the Pharisee did. And so he missed it. Woe to you and all men speak well of you, Jesus said in Luke, Luke chapter 6. Forgiveness is not a transaction, a deal where we buy and sell. It is a surrender on our part towards him. Simon missed out on the blessing of forgiveness. She partook of it and she enjoyed it and had a share in the kingdom of heaven. Simon elevated himself in his mind and put Jesus in the lower rungs and and the woman too. That is self. But let's read on here. It says in verse 49, Then those who were at table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, last Sunday we talked about how Jesus says, if we do good only to those who do good to us, we're no better than the worldly people. They all do that too. Simon invited Jesus just as a, you know what, Jesus is a rabbi, he recognized Jesus as a rabbi, I'm going to invite him for dinner. Would he ever have considered inviting the woman? Absolutely not. And there's the difference. Who did he love? If we love as the world loves, we have nothing to gain, nothing to win. Then we're just like the world. Are we going to love like Jesus? Are we going to first love Jesus and love like Jesus? Here in the story, it was the sinful woman who walked away in peace. She loved much. She's overcome with emotion to the point where she didn't care what people thought or said about her. It was not the right place to go for her, you know. It's a Jewish culture, Jewish men having a meal, and a woman, maybe a prostitute, we don't know, but sinner, don't know what she was all into. A sinful woman, and she walked away healed and restored. The question we have to ask us this morning is, who do you and I represent in the story? Are we Simon? Or are we the woman? We're not told what happened to Simon, how he lived his life after that. I'm sure he had lots to think about. But we can kind of assume what the woman did, rejoicing in her life what she had. Let's ask, what place does Jesus hold in our hearts? We may invite him for dinner, attend church services, even do a lot of nice things. We may even want to be with him for a little bit. But do we have a relationship with him? How do we treat each other? Are we poor in spirit? Do we need forgiveness and mourn our sins and come to him? And he pronounces us clean and forgiven. We can go in peace. What do we live? Is Jesus Lord? May we die to self. May we take up our cross and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of Simon and the woman. Simon who needed to be trained and taught, who needed to be rebuked, and the woman who received forgiveness because of her brokenness and her receptivity of your grace. Lord, we all come broken and poor. We have nothing to give to you, but our hearts, our sinful hearts, need healing. Thank you, Lord, for the story. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk with you. May you fill our hearts with a thirst and a desire for you. May we experience your grace and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.